we started a little series on Tuesday night, church. Um, you know, and it was a powerful night on Tuesday night. As I said earlier on, you know, the last dancing stopped at about five or ten past ten. And I went home, and I'll tell you what, I think I lost about six pounds in weight. There's a few other people the same, you know. We were laughing, we were saying, why join a gym? Just get into the right church, you know. <laughs> the gym can do a good job, but so can a liberated worship environment. Can you say amen? amen. And uh, we thank God for it. There was definitely an impartation taking place on Tuesday night. Why does God impart to us, you know? He imparts to us to give us the ability, you know, to keep getting the job done. He keeps gracing us and imparting to us of himself, you know, because without the Lord, we of ourselves can do what? Nothing. So he needs to empower us continually with the anointing and with fresh visitations and fresh revelations and, and, and fresh interpretations of the Word of God, you know. I said on Tuesday night that modern-day apostles and prophets, you know, are not called to bring new revelations beyond the bounds of Scripture, but they are certainly are called to give us fresh interpretations you know, relevant for our day and for our culture and for our time. You know, that's definitely what they're used for in many realms. So we talked about um, the two different models of churches shown in the book of Acts. We talked about the difference between the Jerusalem church and the Antioch church, all right? And what we discovered as we looked at them on Tuesday night was that Jerusalem church was very much a model um, that's prevalent even still today. It's the pastoral-only model. Okay? And, um, you know, we said that some of the traits concerning the Jerusalem church was that it had all kinds of ministries, but it grew inwardly. Okay? And it focused mainly on Jerusalem. It was a base for the apostles, but it had a come-to-us mindset. Okay? It had a come-to-us mindset. It also had a become-like-us mindset. It had a traditional mindset, because although many of the believers in Jerusalem you know, were Jewish and they were saved. The Bible says, Acts 21, 20, that they still had a great zeal for the law. So they wanted to try and mix grace with law. How many people know it doesn't mix? How many people know if you're going to keep one law, you got to keep it all? You see? So you see people running around the church and they have their wee pet laws that they keep. You know, some people don't eat pork. Well, there's a law. Yeah? Keep the other ones, you know? Some people, you know, if, if you're going to keep that wee law, you go, you get circumcised then. Huh? So the Bible shows quite clearly in the book of Galatians through an allegory of Hagar and Sarah, Ishmael and Isaac, one of prom, prom, a son of promise, one a son of, 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 of the law, you know, that they couldn't coexist. God himself had to cast Ishmael out. And even back then, he's teaching us that a son of the flesh and a son of promise, they can't coexist. You know, law and grace, they can't live together. They can't mix. That's why God sent them away. A very sad moment in Scripture. But it taught us a deeper lesson. And so also, we looked at Jerusalem. It was a place of accountability. Yes, it had influence, but it became settled. Like many churches today, they're settled. You know, they're just existing, just there, comfortable. You know, whereas when we look at the Antioch model, it had a we'll come to you mindset, okay? It had an outreach mindset. And a, as I said, it had a new theology. In other words, a fresh interpretation, okay? It had a sending mentality. Stay sending. It had a, an equipping mentality, okay? And it was unsettled. What do I mean by that? They weren't the sort of people in that church, in that arena that could just sit there and be there. They, had to, they were passionate about going and being sent. And uh, even Paul himself started his three missionary journeys from Antioch, okay? They went out from there. And so we, we looked at, at how different that was from Jerusalem. And, you know, I've been talking about, passionately about how I believe that we are in process of transitioning from a Jerusalem church to an Antioch church. We have functioned as a pastor-only model for so long. But now God has raised us up to be a five-fold model of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. We talked on Tuesday night how that some people love the pastoral office. It puts plasters on you. It sticks a bottle in your mouth. It takes your nappy off. You know, powders your behind. 
That's what pastors are designed to do. Coochie coo, are you all right? Yes, nurse you almost asleep. Make sure you're okay emotionally and all that stuff and you're all right and you're balanced and you're nice. But then an apostle comes into your life for profit and he shake you up. Huh? He calls you to see beyond just being nursed every week. He let you see there's a big world out there that needs reached and you must, you must begin to function. You have to begin to function in your gifts and in your abilities. We spoke about the pastoral mindset being biblically defined as an eldership principle of curing and nurturing the flocks in a locality, okay? This is the pastoral office's main concern, the local, the local church, you know? We've seen it even in Kingdom Alliance. Some pastors came in, and they began to talk, and all they could ever talk about was their own church, their local church. You know, we it got so bad, we considered banning all talk of local church. But what would they talk about? Huh? That would trouble them. And we begin to help them to understand that no kingdom alliance is not an arena for local church. It's an arena for, for the city, for the nation, for the region, and beyond. We're getting there with it. We're getting there. And uh, an apostolic mindset has a grace to mature and equip and release the believer into the work. We talked about, if you remember, the difference between, you know, gifted people, but gifted needy people. I talked about how in church, you know, a lot of people are so needy, it hinders them functioning in their gift. There's another name for them, VDPs. Not VIPs, VDPs, very draining people. And when you're with a needy person, you'll always feel empty and drained, you know? When you're with a mature believer, you'll come away having gained something. We spoke about that, get the CD, it goes into it a wee bit deeper. You know, we talked about when you're in an Antioch church and you're in a level of, 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 of anointing, that healing and deliverance is not even an issue because of the level of grace in those churches. There's a, there's a high level of grace. I'm going to talk about that today. So you know what? Um, there's no excuse for not being healed and delivered and balanced and rounded and made whole when you're in certain atmospheres. But you have to give yourself to it. You have to allow it to function in your life. And we talked about how some people like holding on to those stuff, holding on to those things, because better the devil you know, because it takes courage to let go of all your crutches and trust Jesus Christ. And we even had a crutch on Tuesday night. <laughs> we laughed about that. Hallelujah. And so people are working through the process of time where we're beginning to learn to let go of our crutches and take complete hold of Jesus, to lean on him. He might send me somewhere I don't like. Yes. He might ask me to do something I can't do. No. He'll always ask you to do something you can do. As he wouldn't ask you. Huh? He might put me out in a limb. Yes. Huh? Abraham, go out, Abraham. I want you to leave your family and go. Where are we going? I'll tell you when you go, kid. Keep, start walking. Huh? Faith. I'm always amused when we hear denominations and streams making a doctrine out of faith. What kind of church is your church? Oh, we're faith. We're word of faith. Every church should be faith. Every stream. We've made a denomination out of it. God help us. We talked about the hindrances to being fixed. You know, we talked about wallowing and self-pity and attention-seeking. You know? We need to get rid of that stuff. It's not the behavior of mature believers. It's not the behavior of the Antioch church. We talked about self-government and self-differentiation being essential. You know, no longer reaching for coping mechanisms. And no matter what they are, you know, give it rice, Marvin. <laughs> Going to preach. We talked about people reaching for coping mechanisms even in the church. Alcohol, drugs, nicotine, addictive behavior, isolation, food, television, computers, you know, sexual uh, release. People will use all that stuff to cope, you know. We talked about how we got to let go of that stuff and start leaning on Jesus Christ. We spoke about the greatest sign of self-government and self-differentiation and maturity was this. You're the last believer on the face of the earth. There's nobody else around, only you. Could Jesus Christ still use you to grow and build a church? Yeah? 
That's the greatest test of maturity. Hallelujah. Now, we talked about um, one of the characteristics of, 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 of the Antioch churches, 12 in total. The first one we looked at was Antioch churches are full of breakthrough believers. Say breakthrough believers. Breakthrough believers are not ordinary believers who have settled down for a nice easy ride in their Christianity. They'll never be comfortable with ordinary church, normal church, religion, churchianity, tradition. They won't settle for it. It's not in them to settle. You know, if they go into a church like that, they'll either do one or two things, disturb the church or leave. Huh? You can't, you can't, you know, and if you're not serious about God, and you go into a, an Antioch type of church, if you're messing around with God, if you're just hanging around the cross instead of getting on it, can I tell you something? You will never be comfortable in an Antioch church. You have two options, repent or leave. And find a church where you'd be accepted in your lukewarm condition. Huh? And there's, they're there. They are there. You can find one. Now, breakthrough believers pioneer new moves of God. Okay? They pioneer new moves of God. How many people believe it's okay to look back at previous moves of God for inspiration and, and encouragement and, and, and all that stuff? But we have got to be on the cutting edge. Ask your neighbor, are you on the cutting edge? Ah, that's a good question. You've got to be on the cutting edge of what God's doing today. Now. Hallelujah. What, what, what else about breakthrough believers? I said it. They are able to move under intense pressure. And I said on, on, on Tuesday night that if you can't function over your feelings, you're not yet mature. If you have a function and your feelings cause you to stop functioning, okay, for whatever difficulty you find yourself in, you're not yet mature. You've got to function over feelings. Can I tell you something? I've said it before a million times. If I only came to this pulpit every time I felt like it, I wouldn't be here half the time. Oh, the pastor's saying that? Yes. Because the pastor happens to be honest. And don't, don't look at me like that. Because if you were honest, if you were here only when you felt like it, you would only be here half the time. You don't go to church because you feel like it. You go to church because you're in covenant with God. Oh, it's raining this morning. I'll get back in. Get out of that bed! <laughs> Somebody's getting it this morning. Somebody looked out and seen the rain. Oh. <laughs> See, honest leaders raise up honest believers. Yeah. But you know what? You see, when you conquer and you overcome and you come, yes. you get blessed. Some of the best blessings I've ever got are in meetings I didn't ever want to go to. I'm telling you, the person you have to beat more than anybody at times is yourself. Conquer your own flesh. Conquer yourself. Hallelujah. I'm beating me. In Jesus' name. We talked about uh, breakthrough believers being without compromise. Huh? Without compromise. No matter who talks to you, no matter who doesn't. No matter who stays your friend, no matter who doesn't. You know? They put pressure on you. You preach like that again, you're going to lose this job. Lose it. Radical people. You know? Radical people can get on your nerves, get on your nerves, get on your nerves. Especially if you're settled, if you're just happy, content. Radical people can irritate you. I've irritated a lot of people in my life. Can't help it. Huh? Don't know any other way. Was forgiven a lot of sin, you know? Him who has been forgiven much. You know, parody. We talked about um, breakthrough believers moving in progressive revelation. Huh? So you don't sit on yesterday's word. You don't sit on last week's word. You keep, you know, building. Keep building. Keep moving on progressive revelation. What else? Breakthrough believers know how to be under authority. Say under. That's a hard word for a lot of people. You know, they'll tell you, oh, we're level. 
We can be level. The Bible says, no, we are under. Under. Very difficult for rebels to be under. And they'll make up some funny doctrine in Jesus' name to try and teach you about authority being horizontal, you know. But the Bible says, we said it on Tuesday night, submit to them who are over you in the Lord, Hebrews 13, 17. And if somebody's over you, you must be under them. Tell your neighbor, get out of that. We talked about breakthrough believers impacting society. Impacting society. You know, no matter where you go, you are a Christian already. You don't do Christianity. You be a Christian. No matter where you are, Christ's there. Whether it's work, family, social life, whatever, Jesus is there in you. The hope of glory huh, can move through you and work through you at any time if you allow him. How many people and times in the church have turned off the Jesus switch when they go into some social arenas? Huh? Oh, let's turn Jesus off. I'll tell you something. One of the greatest, most simplest revelations, you know, that has come in the church, it came in in the form of like little bracelets and T-shirts and da-da-da. WWJD. Huh? You want to know how to govern your life? There it is right there. What would Jesus do? Would Jesus do what we do half the times? It's worth asking, you know. That's a simple. Okay, we're going to move on to point two because on Tuesday night we only got the number one. <laughs> we had planned to get the six, but we only got the number one. But that's all right, okay? So number two, okay? Here's point two of, a, of, a, of an Antioch church different from a Jerusalem church. And I'm going to say something about this. Point two is, in Antioch churches there will be a strong spirit of evangelism. Say evangelism. Now, I'm not talking about, when I say evangelism, you know, some wee granny hand tracks out, although that can be part of it, or some wee granda hand and tracks out, okay? I'm talking about the functioning office of an evangelist, okay? And that is much more powerful than we have ever understood. Can I tell you something? I believe that there are very few functioning five-fold evangelists in this nation. There you go. I believe there's a drought concerning the five-fold office of an evangelist. Why do I say that? This city wouldn't be the way it is. I'm telling you, if there were functioning five-fold evangelists, I'm telling you something. That's not just knocking on doors. Can I invite you to the church? No, no, no. All that, that's being a witness. You know, that's being a witness. I'm talking about the five-fold office of evangelist. What do I mean by that? You know, the Great Commission is apostolic, but evangelism is an integral part of it, you know, because God has ways and means of, of, of doing certain things. Put up for me Acts chapter 8, Robbie, verse 5. Do you know Philip is the New Testament pattern of an evangelist? You know what? And if you want to measure an evangelist, measure against Philip. He's the pattern. He's the type. And let's see. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, you know what evangelists do? Evangelists break open cities. They break open cities. It says, and he preached Christ unto them. Now, as a result of this preaching, okay, watch verse 6. It says, and the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. The evangelists will always move in the realm of the miraculous. They will move in signs and wonders. Huh? Verse 7. For unclean spirits, they'll move in deliverance. Crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were what? Healed. That's the functioning fivefold office of an evangelist. Verse 8. And there was what? Great joy in that city. We have not taught our evangelists to go and break cities wide open. We have taught them how to give tracts out. It's part of it, but it's not the whole part. Can somebody say amen? He broke open the city of Samaria. He came out of an apostolic community. He came out of an apostolic community. Philip, 
Praise God. What else? Antioch churches break normal barriers and patterns that limit evangelism. They break them. They break the mold, you know? And also that they target all people groups. They break cultural, ethnic barriers. They break all sorts of social barriers, you know? Evangelists don't care whether you live in the Malone Road or whether you live in the Albert Bridge Road. They don't care where you're from, what your background is, what, if you're a social climber. They don't care about none of that stuff. They go after your soul in Jesus' name. So the strong spirit of evangelism, it has to reside in the Antioch church. Okay? It's radical. Hallelujah. Point number three. Antioch churches will always have, listen to this, apostolic input. Okay? Some people are void of any input in their life and their ministry. But Antioch type churches will always have apostolic input. Let me show you this. Put up Acts 11. How do we look at Acts 11 and verse 20? I want to say something about this. Because this is talking about Barnabas, okay? Who represents, in this instance, apostolic input. Now look at what it says. It says, And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians. There's a crossing of a cultural boundary right there. Before it was said it on Tuesday night, it was just the Jews. Now they're starting to preach to the Greeks. Okay, they're crossing barriers. Preaching the Lord Jesus, verse 21. It says, and the hand of the Lord was with them. When you cross any barrier, God will be with you. I'm serious. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Verse 22. It says, then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. Antioch church, Jerusalem church. And they sent forth who? Barnabas. Barnabas means son of consolation, encourager. He was an encourager. He was one who would have lifted the heart of the church, lifted the heart of believers, lifted them up, encouraged them, and blessed them, that he should go where? As far as where? Antioch. So they sent him forth. Okay, so uh, Barnabas wasn't an apostle. You know? Oh, there was only, um, there was only uh, 14 apostles. Really? What a silly doctrine that is. What a silly doctrine that is. Put up Acts 14, 14. You know, remember I told this testimony, two Jehovah's Witnesses came to my door one Saturday morning. They picked the wrong door. Or they picked the right door, depending on what way you think about it. And they started to try and teach me that, no, there was only like, um, you know, 14 apostles, whatever it was. I said, what do you mean 14 apostles? We took him through the Word of God, showed him where he was wrong. And I said, is it possible that your Bible's wrong? He said, well, maybe that part. But what about the rest of it? Oh, no, no, we're not wrong on the rest of it. Look at what it says. It says, which when the apostles, who? There's Barnabas called out as an apostle. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard, they rent their clothes and they ran among the, the people crying out. We could show you numerous verses where other men are talked about as apostles. Okay? Now, the apostles of the Lamb, that's different. And we've looked at that. But watch this. Sending forth of Barnabas represents apostolic input. Okay? What does apostolic input do in the life of a local church? It strengthens it. Okay? It strengthens the local church, apostolic input. There's only certain places a pastor will take you. And we talked about those places earlier on. Okay? Now, what else does it do? The lack of apostolic input will cause a church to remain weak and immature. Okay? Apostolic input into a church will mature and season that church and make the believers mature and seasoned. Okay? Well, you don't just chew anything. You'll chew the meat. Okay? You won't take the Farley's rusks. Do they still have Farley's rusks? Still use that stuff? I like that. But then I acquired a taste for steak. Huh? Many people are the same. What else? The honoring of apostolic input in a church or the honoring of sent ones to a church will enable that church 
to partake of the grace that's on that sent one. Can you see that? So how you embrace or receive an apostle or reject an apostle as a church can determine where you as a church go. Okay? You may only reach a level. Huh? You may only reach a level in Jesus' name. So it's important, church, that we embrace apostolic input. Okay? Does that mean that you throw off restraint and just embrace every so-called apostle that comes among you? No. Because let me tell you something. There are people in every area of your life that will have a different place in your life. There are some people that it will not be right for them to speak into every area of your life. They can speak into a certain area, but if you're going to allow someone to know your heart, they have to earn the right. And they've got to do it through friendship, relationship building, time. I've said before that a classic symptom of codependency is when people move in inappropriate levels of intimacy at the first or second meeting. You meet something, or, you know, you've only met them five minutes and you, you know their whole life, they're codependent. Okay? That'll help you. You know? You have to, you know, share your life over time and with the appropriate people and the right people, you know? There are some people that can come and prophesy into your life. They prophesy to a level, you know? But then certain levels, they stop there. You know, if somebody was prophesying into my life and, I, and I, I felt there was something wrong, I removed permission from them to do it. You know you can do that? Huh? I'm serious. So, we're talking about the honoring of the apostolic input, the receiving of it, the reception of it in Jesus' name. Here's the next one, point number four. I like this. And I understand as I go through all these things exactly, you know, even in past days, the type of ministry that God has been raising here. I've said before, we've often talked about it, our elders, we've often talked about how that we could have like loads more people in this church if we had just toned it down a little bit. Huh? If we had just not been so strong on certain things, you know, don't preach holiness so much, you know, don't, don't call people to, 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 to holy living, you know, don't, don't, don't do this, don't do that, you know, and you, you can grow your church up. Uh-huh. Okay, look at Acts 11 and 23. Here's point four. You will always find high levels of this in an Antioch church. And you know what it is? Grace. Say grace. Grace. Now, I'm not just talking about saving grace. I'm talking about grace for life. I'm talking about grace of every, of every type. Huh? Now, Acts 11 and 23, look what it says. Who when he came, okay, and had seen the grace of God. The grace of God is evident. Say evident. What, that, what does that mean? It means it's seeable, feelable. It's experiential, the grace of God. You know, I've experienced grace from the life of other believers. You know, grace in gifting, grace in function, grace in being, graciousness and forgiveness. Oh, grace, you know. So it says he was glad when he seen the grace of God. Huh? And the Bible tells us that in the book of Acts, the apostles functioned in what? Great grace. It says, and he exhorted them all that with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. Eh, eh. See, that's a wee bit different than the messages we're getting today in the church, you know. The apostles told us, cleave to Jesus. Now we're being told, oh, give him a wee try. You know, see how you get on, you know. Take a wee bit of Jesus, keep a wee bit of the world. Be all right, the Lord loves you, sure. We're told to cleave to Jesus Christ. And when I tell you something, when you cleave to Jesus Christ, you don't have much strength to cleave to anything else. I'm telling you, because why? Jesus demands our all. And he doesn't make no apologies for it. You know, you know what gives him the authority to, to demand our all? He gave us his all. So he's not asking us to do anything he didn't do himself. You know, and what do we always say? Good leaders don't tell people what to do. They show them. They show them. There's a difference between a leader and a boss. A boss will tell you what to do. A leader will show you what to do. Jesus showed us the way. That's why he's called our example. 
an example of complete commitment. If Jesus, had a, if Jesus was fitting you in now around other things, you would soon hear you. Lord, I, I want you to oh, get back in two hours. What? Think about it. He's a picture of commitment, and he demands the same from us. Grace is evident in Antioch churches, okay? An abundance of gifts, spiritual gifts and ministry gifts. You'll see in those types of churches. What does it say in 1 Corinthians 1 and 7? It says that ye come behind and know what? Gift. So in the arena of the apostles, there will be a lot of grace for spiritual gifts and for ministry gifts. Grace will be evident in those churches, you know? And um, cities and regions and nations, okay, will be touched by the grace on those churches. You know, we are touching Malawi now by the grace of God on this church. It's the grace of God. We're going to touch the next continent by the grace of God on the church. We're going to touch the next continent by the grace of God on the church. We're going to touch the next continent by the grace of God on the church. A church in every continent, a representation in every continent. How are we going to do it? Oh, pastor, how are we going to do that? That's hard. How are we going to do it? Here's the answer. You ready? Grace. Grace. And grace will work itself out in many different manifestations, many different ways. It'll work itself out. It will manifest itself through many different people. Trust me. Okay? Now watch this. What does grace on the Antioch church do? Grace gives the Antioch church the ability to do extraordinary things. That's why we say life in this church will never be dull. You can't sleep in here. And if you do, I remember going and preaching in a service one night and this woman sat three rows back sleeping. I was looking for the water. Where's the glass of water? You know, they usually give you a glass of water you go to church, you know. You say, oh, the rain's coming down. It's coming down. You know, it's rude to sleep in church. Huh? Preachers prepare. They pray. They seek God. You know, they tarry for the word. They get the word. They come fired up, prayed up, ready to preach, ready to lift you to a new level, ready to take you somewhere. Sleep at home. If you're really sleepy, it might be better to stay at home. Huh? Now they're going to start putting glasses of water up here next week. What? <laughs> so grace gives these churches ability to do extraordinary things. I don't want to be in an ordinary church arena. I'm sorry. I get bored to death. Bored to tears. You know? One of the things somebody was saying last week, said to me, Pastor, you know, see church, you just never know what's going to happen. Sure you don't. I said, that's normal. That's the way church should be. You come in, you don't know what's going to happen. The Spirit can go this way, that way, that way, this way, that way. He can move any way. Why? He's the boss. Huh? We didn't come with prophecies this morning, wrote down, ready to read to you. Yeah. But the minute we begin to worship, and let me tell you something, let me commend you this morning, guys, for your worship. You know, I was blessed. You know, there's something happening in our worship. And because we are all entering in corporately, that something can happen quicker. You know, God is bringing a church. Why? Why is it a sin? You know what? We're born for worship. You know, I wasn't put on this earth to play football or do anything else. I was put on this earth to be a worshiper of Almighty God. That's just a side thing. You know what I mean? Understand what I'm saying? We're born first and foremost to worship God. That's why we're comfortable. We should be comfortable in worship. If you are a Christian and you're not comfortable in worship, you need delivered. Come on, say amen. Something's hindering it. But we as Christians should be at home in the presence of God and in worship. It should be home. You know? I often said that when I went into church at first, I couldn't express myself properly in worship. You know, I went into like a Pentecostal church. Oh, she's, she's worshiping. And um, I was like, like this. You know, I go, go in this church, some of these people were a little bit further on in their liberation, as it were. And they were like... And I'm like, you know, standing there, you know. And one day I says, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to clap my hands one day. And I, I did it like this. So I couldn't see anybody seeing me. 
And even now when I go into difficult realms of worship where there's not much liberty, I just can still shut my eyes and just say, Lord, you know, I'm going to worship you. I'm sorry I can't help it. You know, that's the model of David. David girded up his loins, his ephod, you know, and away he went and I thought he was loopy loo. And I thought as the wife looked out, you know, she, she says, oh, oh, you're making an exhibition of yourself there, dancing. You're the king and you the king. You know, you know what happened to her? You know, you don't stop a man in his worship. You don't stop a woman in her worship. You know, we've got to be worshipers. We've got to worship the Lord because out of that realm of worship comes revelation. You know, comes direction, comes impartation. When you're worshiping God, I'm telling you something, God's releasing something to you. Now, you may not get the manifestation right away. It can take a little time for the manifestation to come to you, but it'll come in Jesus' name. Tell somebody it's coming. Okay, here's another thing about Antioch Church. They become a magnet for five-fold ministry gifts. You know, we have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers sitting in this church now because the Antioch nature has attracted them. And guess what I'm going to tell you? There's more on the way. There are people coming to this place and this is going to facilitate them, equip them, mature them, season them, and release them into the work of God, you know? Some churches cannot do that with you. They'll nurse you. As I said, they'll change your nappy. They'll give you a bottle. They'll coochie-coo you. They'll stick a plaster in your cut. That's the only place they can take you unless they have the five-fold arena functioning. You know, if you don't have an apostle in your life, you're lacking something. If you don't have a prophet in your life, you're lacking something. If you don't have a pastor in your life, you're lacking something. If you don't have an evangelist in your life, you're lacking something. If you don't have a teacher in your life, you're lacking something. Why? Because Jesus put them in the church to mature, to equip, to prepare us for all the work of the Lord. And if you don't have them functioning in your life, you're a mess somewhere. Say amen. amen. Maybe you know better than Jesus. I don't know. Okay, so in Antioch churches, there will always be a structure to facilitate and to release. You know, I'll tell you something. We didn't hear or see much about missions for the first eight years of this church. Why? Because God had not yet chosen to release that grace upon this church. The day and the hour and the moment we set foot in Africa, can I tell you something? People with missions hearts begin to come to this church. You know why? There was now a vehicle. There was now a facility. Okay? And that's how it works in the kingdom of God. Thank God for it. And yet, most of you heard the prophecy in 2003 that I played in the church from Russ and Kim Klein when they came here and they prophesied, you will raise up a mighty work in Africa. We hadn't even been to Africa yet. In fact, I forgot about the prophecy because Dom had to bring it back. Dom said to me, Pastor, you need to listen to that again. Huh? Thank God for people who remember things. He says, you had to listen to that again. So I listened to it and, and they're prophesying about raising up a mighty work in Africa that would touch this nation and people from this church would set their foot on African soil and, and blah, 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 and blah, 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 and prophesying. When I listened to it, I thought, my God, God knows everything. <laughs> God knows everything. Yeah. Duh, he's God. So there'll be a structure to facilitate and release. And, you know, and, 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 and people now have a heart for Africa. See, when God releases the next project, you have people that will come then for a heart for that part of the world. Do you want to know where it is? It, I'm not telling you. <laughs> Bernard, you're a prophet. You should know. <laughs> okay. So there's tremendous grace in that arena. Okay, of Antioch churches. You go into those types of churches, you'll know it's just something, something different, something strong there, something, you know. And I've been in those churches, I've been in them in different places, and I've felt it. Okay, here's another one, point five. We're moving nicely, but let me do just another two, two more. Point five, okay. Acts chapter 11, Robbie, 25 to 26. Here's another thing that will always be in Antioch churches, all right? The concept of team ministry. Say team ministry. Can I tell you something? The days of one man model ruling and reigning in the church 
you know what? They never should have been here, but they were here, but they're now over. If a church does not embrace the concept of apostolic teams and five-fold ministry arenas, they can only grow to a certain level. There are churches in this city that have done really well and maybe gone to three, 4,000 members. And if they had have embraced the five-fold arena or understood it, they could have had 10,000, 15,000, 20,000. But they get stuck. Can somebody say amen? It's not our job to get stuck. We have to keep progressing, growing, going beyond. And then churches come out of that. Churches come out of that. Can I tell you, the grace was so strong in the Antioch church that it birthed the church at Colossus. It birthed the church at Philippi. It birthed the church at Thessalonica. It birthed the church at Athens. It birthed the church at Corinth. All the New Testament churches came out of Antioch. You know, can you imagine what a crime it would be to get thousands of believers in one place and keep them there for years? Huh? Can somebody say amen? If I keep you guys sitting here for years, I've failed. You've got to be released into the work of the Lord. Oh, but Pastor, you're not going to miss us all when we go. Some is. happen when we go. You know what? God will bring a new batch in for the same cycle. Prepare, equip, train, send. Prepare, equip, train, send. Huh? You understand? Like, this is the church. We got off track somewhere, guys. We really did. You know, we got off track. We, somebody duped us. You know, religion duped us. You know, I heard um, a, a guy teaching, I think Colin gave me the tape, excellent stuff. He's talking about how that, um, you know, when Israel was fighting against the Philistines at one point in their life, the Philistines came into a place of peace with them. But even in the time of peace, the Philistines were preparing for the next season of war. So they thought, what can we do here? What can we do to prepare? I, and then they thought, I know what we'll do. We'll take all the blacksmiths and we'll do away with the trade of... of, of uh, Ironmongery or something like that, blacksmiths. We'll do away with that trade. Anybody know what that trade's called? You're out of time. And they took them all away. So guess what happens? The next time the war comes up between them, there's no blacksmiths. So the weapons can't be sharpened and new weapons can't be forged. You know what the devil achieved when he took the apostles out of the church? He stopped the church from being sharpened and stopped new things from being forged. And that's how we got stuck. We've got to be on the cutting edge. We've got to be sharp. And new things have got to be, be forged all the time. That's what he achieved. And I thought, what a tremendous revelation that the devil was even working, even in the time of peace, for the next time of war. I'll tell you something. He's well prepared. He's well prepared, and sometimes we sit <laughs> snoring, but not anymore. Yeah. Ask your neighbor, are you awake? <laughs> okay. Team ministry, Acts 11, 25, 26. I want to say something important about this. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek for who? Saul, who later became Paul. Verse 25, and it says, And when he had found him, he brought him, where? To Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. All right? And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So Barnabas got Saul and brought him to Antioch. Okay? And they begin to function together. Begin to be responsible for teaching that, that arena. Now, who set the model in place for us for team ministry? Can I tell you who it was? Jesus Christ. Because Jesus picked 12 apostles. He picked 12 apostles. And he sent them forth by two. So that concept of team ministry was brought forth by Jesus, who was the chief apostle. The apostle 
of our high calling, apostle of our faith. Jesus was apostolic. You know? Now, so Barnabas and Paul were established as a team. And they were later released from Antioch after having come from Jerusalem to Antioch. They stayed there a year as a team doing things together. You know what? You know why Jesus sent people out two by two? Because two, the Bible says, is better than one. You know, you know why some churches have never grown? Because you know what? The pastor, the leader, does not know how to even understand the concept of team. So insecure, so fearful, so suspicious. You know, they would not dare embrace anybody else on board to help at that level. They won't give authority away. Now, I'm not suggesting that you give authority away to every Tom, Dick, Harry, or Sally, because can I tell you something about the concept of team ministry? You know what determines me in this church? I'll tell you, heart connection. Heart connection. You have to be connected in your heart to the leadership of your church, to the vision of your church. I'll tell you, I would go so far as to say that if, 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 you, if you're even given here and you don't have a heart connection, keep your money. You know, you'd rather have it from a, somebody who's given, who, who's heart connected. You know, these guys were connected to Jesus in their heart. They were connected to one another in their heart. They were connected to, to each other with a heart connection, a genuine heartfelt connection. You know, I won't send anybody from this church that's not connected to me in here. I'm telling you, I won't do it. Now, the thing is this. What is important about this? Do you know that... Barnabas and Paul, who became Paul, do you know they had a contention? Do you know that? Now, they were connected in their heart. And do you know in the early days, Luke, the author of Acts, when he was writing about Barnabas and Saul, used to write Barnabas and Saul. He used to put the preeminence on Barnabas. But do you know from Acts, I think it is 13 onwards, he writes Paul and Barnabas? The emphasis shifts. You know what that suggests? That Paul is what? He's moving up in authority. He's moving up in position. He's moving up in influence. He's moving up in that whole arena. Okay? And that's why then the Bible then begins to refer to him as Paul and Barnabas, and not Barnabas and Saul anymore. Now watch this. They had a dispute. What do I mean by that? There was a young guy called John Mark who was related to Barnabas. And on one of the previous missionary trips, he came home prematurely. Now, the Bible doesn't tell you, but the Bible, like every other book, sometimes has to be read between the lines. And between the lines, it suggests that John Mark failed, in some sense, in an earlier missionary trip. So when the next missionary trip came up, Barnabas said, Oh, well, John Mark again. Paul said, No. Now, did Paul have anything personal against this kid? No. Did he make it that he didn't like him? No. But here's what Paul understood. Paul understood, I've work to do. This is serious work. We're birthing churches. We're, we're pressing ahead here. This is serious. And at this particular time, I can't afford this kid to be here as a passenger, wiping his nose and changing his nappy and all the rest of it. Leave him until he's more mature. Now, how do we know that it wasn't personal with Paul? Because later on in the Bible, Paul then says, Send for John Mark for me because he's now profitable. Know what that's saying? He'd grew up a wee bit. He'd matured, he'd seasoned. But the Bible says that Barnabas took a thick. He said. And it says there was a contention and they divided asunder. Now, do you know something? That's the last time in history you ever read about Barnabas. His story finishes there. That caused me to wonder. That's the end of him. Good night, Irene. Now, he may have went on and had a good future in the ministry. He may have went on and done great things. We'll not know till we get to heaven. You know? But God ceases recording about him there. What happened, church? The heart connection was lost. Can I tell you something? There are some people that have lost heart connection with their leaders that God positioned them with and they have never, ever recovered. They've never been the same. Never. Do you know that? Ask me why. 
I don't know. <laughs> but the Bible makes it clear. And it's definitely worth thinking about. So it's got to be all heart connection. And I'll tell you something. I felt it here in the worship today when I begin to proclaim safety and protection and provision. You know, there are arenas of your life that if you're a bastard in your heart and you're not connected, can I tell you something? There's trouble coming in your life. You've got to have godly connections established in your life for covering and protection and safety. And if you don't, you become a lone ranger. Eh? And me and me island. It's all through the Bible. All through it. Now, watch this. Resident teams will be evident in the Antioch church. Okay? But visiting teams will also visit those types of churches. You know? I couldn't understand even in the early days of this church why God used to send us teams in the minister in here well-known prophets and apostles and all those types. I couldn't understand it. You see, hindsight, you know what it is? That's a wonderful thing. Hindsight, even then, the nature was here. It was here. Hallelujah. We talk about teams. I couldn't understand why in years gone by, I felt such a desire to take teams to Pensacola, Florida. I got the invite. But I'm saying, no, I'm going to take a team here with us. I couldn't understand why I got the desire to take teams to Omaha, Nebraska, to take teams to Africa. My attitude was, you know, the door opened for me. Let's hold it open a wee bit and get, get pay through. Quick, come on. Get another few through. Why? Because I know when people travel, it expands them. God is not a Northern Ireland man. Northern Ireland. God's not Irish. He's not even English. He's the God of every culture. And it's only when you travel to cultures and further afield that you will understand the magnitude of God. You know, you can't box God in. You do, he'll unbox himself. Trust me. So why did I even feel then to take those teams? It was in the nature. It was in the nature of the church, of the call, of the anointing. It was there already, you know? I know what hindsight is. Still a wonderful thing. So teams are matured within the Antioch church and sent to impact the nations. You know, you might think, you know, you're just here. You're being matured, seasoned. You know, you're being matured. Eh? And you will be matured in a certain way because there's a Jerusalem maturing. There's an Antioch maturing. There's two different maturings there. Depends where God's taking you. And I've always said this about the process. Listen, and I'm telling you, if you're in process and you're delayed and you're in waiting mode and you don't know and you don't Listen to me. The length of your process is determined by two things. I'm repeating this for somebody's benefit. It's, it's for two, two, two reasons determine the length of God's preparation of you. Number one, your response to God in the preparation process. The more you whine, the longer you wait. The more you yap, the more circuits you do. And your model is Israel. Off you go. Try again. Go clockwise this time. Try. And the other thing that determines the length of time in your process is the magnitude of your calling. So if there is a high call in your life, and if there's a big demand by God put on you to achieve great things, you will be in process longer. Don't resist it. Don't fight it. Stop kicking against the pricks. Embrace it. Tell your neighbor, stop your whining. And I repeat, not W-I-N-I-N-G, <laughs> but W-H-I-N-I-N-G. Okay? Now, tell your neighbor I'm getting help today. <laughs> okay, here's another thing. We're going to finish soon. Give me, more, give me five more minutes. Yep. Five more preacher's minutes. Here's another thing that will always be resident in Antioch Church, and it's among us. Corporate vision and purpose. 
How, how does that manifest itself? It manifests itself in a congregation with the God-given ability all through it to bring events and things to pass. Look at how the cycle event was brought to pass from its conception, its initiation, through birth, through manifestation. It was done through team. It was done through people doing admin, doing practical. Some of the guys were up on the Friday night staying at the site, you know, coming the Saturday morning. Guys were doing a registration. Somebody else was doing something else. Somebody else was doing something else, you know. All team bringing to birth the cycle event that raised us, what, 6,000 pounds. It took a team. It took a concept of team to do that. So why? Because there's corporate vision. There's corporate purpose. There's destiny in the church. Huh? You find it very hard to die here. I can see some of you guys, if you're maybe 150. Oh, yes, pastor. Uh. <laughs> of course, when you come back from your functioning out there, you know, it's hard to die when there's vision. That's why the Bible says, well, there's no vision to people what? Well, what if there is a vision? <laughs> they don't die. Yeah, they don't die. Hallelujah. Can see us all here in a lot of years, the wrinkly church. <laughs> wrinkly church. You know? Of course, now a lot of these guys are... You know. <laughs> Marty said something to me this morning that was amazing. She said, she, there has never been a generation that has struggled so much with aging. Even our preachers are getting facelifts. I'm serious for the TV. Would you ever wise up? Huh? They're like goldfish, some of them. I'm not saying there are genuine needs for some treatments, you know? But if it's all down to vanity, 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 says the preacher, all is vanity, you know? I'm not talking about, you know, I know ladies, you know, like makeup, you know, some of you need it. And I know men now are even wearing makeup and some of us need it. You see? I'm getting close now. <laughs> but let me tell you this. There's something about cutting. When you cut the flesh, I'm telling you, you're moving to a whole new level. There's something you have to be wary of. I'm telling you, when vanity causes you to cut and get the flesh cut, you've got to be careful. You know? So that appointment you had with me next week regarding the facelift, that was cancelled. You know, we don't, we don't judge people. You understand my heart. It's tongue-in-cheek. But what I'm saying to you is this, church, you know, we, we got to be wise. we got to be careful, you know. You can still grow old gracefully, can't you? Is that, can, we, can that still be done today in this generation? Some people are really struggling with it. You know, you're going to get a new body one day in heaven. You can get the teeth back. You get the hair back. It's all coming back. Come back in Jesus' name. Yeah? Yeah? You don't try and get your new body back before it's time. Eh? You're going to have a body fashioned after his body. Eh? You see some people, they go in the dentist. Judy's not here. The dentist, you go um, top row, bottom row, right? Yeah, yeah, good, good, missing. Good, collusal, missing, missing, good. Eh? It's all coming back. You're going to get it in Jesus' name. Okay, so corporate vision and purpose. How did that even, how did I even get on to that? <laughs> in those churches, there's also a spirit of cooperation and unity. Okay? I use face cream. All right? So there you go. I just thought I would tell you that. Want a brand? No. <laughs> I asked for that, didn't I? Didn't I? I asked for that, didn't I? <laughs> and on the Oak churches, I'll tell you something. There's always one. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay. 
There's always a spirit, now listen to this one, of cooperation and unity. <laughs> There's always a spirit of cooperation and unity in Antioch churches. Tell somebody we've got it. Woo! And you know what? Let me tell you this. There's no jealousy or intimidation of other people's gifts. You see, in Antioch churches, you won't find those jealous, that, that jealousy or that intimidation. Those churches, there's a flow. Everybody flow together. Huh? Everybody understands we're all unique, we're all different. There's room for everybody. Tell your neighbor, there's room for me. Woo! Hallelujah. There's room for us all. Room for us all. We're all unique. There's only one of you. Thank Jesus. Okay. So, five-fold ministry teams are evident in Antioch Church. You will have apostolic teams. You will have prophetic teams. You will have teaching teams. You will have pastoral teams. You will have evangelistic teams. You'll have prayer teams, worship teams, deliverance teams. You'll have more than one person functioning in all these arenas. And, and, and you're flowing with people. And you're getting a job done easier because two's better than one. You know, so you'll have all those arenas. Hallelujah. And let's finish with this one. Can you give me two minutes? We'll finish it today. We'll take up to point six. Let's have a quick. I promise. In an Antioch church, there will always be a strong base of teaching. The word of God will be given a high place. Now, it may not be the traditional teaching of the word of God, but there will be rhema an apostolic doctrine. Okay? You see, some teaching doesn't do you no good, except it put foundation. It put foundation. But when the foundation's been put in, why keep putting in foundation? You gotta go beyond the foundation and build on the foundation. And that's what apostolic doctrine is. As I said last week, the logia zonta, the living doctrines that produce life upon obedience. You know? You're sitting in a meeting, somebody's preaching, you hear something, that's me! You know, it just hits you, that's my circumstance, that's where I'm at at the minute, that's what I'm walking through, yeah! That's relevant to me now, rhyme a word! Okay? So, Antioch was a teaching center. They taught the Word of God for a year. These churches will have a strong word base. The teaching office is a governmental office, and will have a place in these churches, because it's third on the list. First God said in the church, apostles. Second, prophets. Thirdly, who was it? Teachers. So it's strong in the church. Uh, foundational principles, as well as I'm saying as advanced truths. There is a present truth. There's a truth today. Okay? Present truth. Advanced truths. There is a duplication of the teaching anointing in these churches. What does that mean? Those that are taught will often advance to become those that teach. So if you are under that teaching anointing in that Antioch-type church, you will progress from one being taught to being a teacher and one able to impart. It's a duplication of the anointing. Thank God. Thank God. Hallelujah. Okay? The teaching in Antioch churches is a high level. All right? That's why when some people come in the church, you know, and they begin to teach some stuff, it may not really feed your soul. Why? Because you need the what? The meat. You, you need meat. There's some things only meat can, meat can only satisfy some people. You know, they've had the day of the milk and the Farley's Rusk stuff. They have to have meat. That's the, that's the challenge in Antioch churches. They can't throw out milk anymore. They got to teach meat. You gotta give meat to the people, okay? So there's a high level. Antioch churches are conducive to the study of the Word of God habitually. That's why we preach regularly. That's why we bring the Word of God, we open it up regularly. The Antioch church is conducive to it, okay? There will be an atmosphere in those churches to instruct, to educate, to enlighten, to ground, to explain, to clarify, and to interpret. That's, that's the atmosphere that will be in those churches. That's why you, you can't not grow. You grow, you grow, you grow, you grow. That's why there's faith. Because faith come by hearing. Hearing by what? The Word of God. You are sitting now under the Word of God. You're sitting now under a teaching 
And so what that's doing, it's inspiring faith in you. You're going to go out changed. You cannot sit in this and not be changed somehow, some way, provoked. Whole pro provocation's going to be in your heart. Oh, hallelujah in Jesus' name. Okay, so we thank God for what God's doing. Um, <clears throat> by transitioning us from Jerusalem. Jerusalem's good. There's some good things about Jerusalem. There's some good things about Jerusalem concept of church. But it's not the final resting place. We've got to progress. And I'm telling you that to tell, tell you that you've got to understand the nature of the church you're in. You've got to understand the nature of the vision you're, you're, you're serving. You've got to understand that stuff. Why? Because then you've got clarity. You've got understanding. You've got wisdom. You know what it's all about. Huh? Oh. But pastor, I need a couple of plasters still. That's okay. No problem. We're bringing you from... Huh? There's, there's pastoral ministry here, you know. But I'll tell you something, you can advance quickly. You can advance quickly. You can, you can, you can grow from one place to another quickly, you know, depending on the influence you're under. Huh? Depending. So we thank God we understand what's happening. You know, you, you better get your skits on. Huh? You better get your skits on. Why? You might be going to a continent. Huh? You may be going to a continent. Oh, Lord, could do, do, me? Sure, I'm from Bolly Walter. You know, I'm from such and such. I'm from here. I'm, can I tell you something? God doesn't particularly care where you come from. He's more interested in where you're going. And if you give yourself to the Lord, I'll tell you, you do something with your life. You do something with your life. He's given an opportunity. Huh? He's given an opportunity to us. Let's stand this morning. Hallelujah.